the little epistle of Jude that is the 65th book in our Bibles. I read to you the 11th verse, speaking of false teachers and certain men that were crept in to the churches that Jude was warning about and and for the reason that we needed to keep earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. In verse 11, Woe unto them! Exclamation point. For they have gone in the way of Cain. Unauthorized worship. And ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Covetousness and preaching for money. Filthy lucre. And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. To gainsay is to contradict or to argue against those in authority. And here's Korah with the spelling of the New Testament variety of his word as the Hebrew word comes into Greek. And let's go back now and look at Numbers chapter 12 for just a few minutes. Numbers 12 and Numbers 16. I have asked you to read these chapters this week and I have hope, and I hope you have read them and I hope you have seen in them the attitude of God and His most faithful minister of the Old Testament, Moses, toward those that wanted to seek the office that Moses and Aaron held, or to contradict it, or to oppose him, and how the Lord dealt with those situations. Because we only have a very few minutes, I am going to have to adjust considerably and try to just give you a thumbnail sketch of some things I wanted you to get out of this chapter and the 16th chapter is what I wanted to do in the second assembly. You say that's a little too ambitious. You're right. Numbers 12 is about Miriam and Aaron speaking against Moses. The first thing I would like to point out to you from this chapter is that Miriam was Moses' sister, and Aaron was Moses' brother. I would also like to point out that Miriam was a prophetess. She was in the ministry. She had revelation from God that she could relate to the people. She was the most exalted woman in a nation of several million people. Moses' wife, and Moses' sister, excuse me, and a prophetess. She was very close to being a peer to Moses by family relationship, by her position in the nation, and by her spirituality that God would appear to her in visions and dreams and she could convey some of that as a prophetess to the nation. Now Aaron was Moses' mouthpiece and had gone with Moses when he stood before Pharaoh and Aaron was the father of all the priests that came out of the tribe of Levi. And he was the highest of the priests because he was the first high priest. He was the chief priest from which every other priest came. And so these two people had exalted positions. And if there was ever any one or any two people in the nation of Israel or in the church of the Old Testament that could have said something to Moses, it should have been and would have been these two. Their disrespectful words to Moses were only to make themselves equal to Moses as his peers. They weren't telling him he was wrong 
in the words that we have recorded for us. They weren't saying they knew God's will better than he did. In what they said, they just wanted to be his peers. What they said is in the second verse. Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Is he the only one? Is he a single ruler of our nation and there are not others? Hath he not spoken also by us? And had he spoken by them? Yes, he had spoken by them. And the Lord heard it. The Lord knew something that we're going to learn by looking at this passage maybe a little closer than Bible story books show us. They didn't want to be merely his assistants. They wanted to be his peers. They were not rejecting his authority and claiming superiority. They just thought that they were equal to him. And where did that desire to compete with him come from? And it's a conversation that has taken place much in this church, in recent days especially, about a root of bitterness. They had bitterness about a practical issue that led them to envy his office. Because there was something about him of a personal nature that they didn't like. What was it? He had married an Ethiopian. And it got, it got under their craw. And it bothered them. It bothered them every day. They could not rest every time they saw that woman that Moses had married when he was on the backside of the desert for 40 years. And that bitterness swelled up in them until they disrespected Moses in his person, so they disrespected his office and were not conscious of the differences God had made in how he related to Moses and how he related to them. And so the Lord came to his rescue. How many times, my brethren, my dear brethren, I am your servant. How many times must you be warned to resolve all offenses, all concerns, all questions, lest they turn into bitterness that leads to such ridiculous outbursts as this and that we have seen. Don't let anything eat at you. Don't let there be any burrs under the saddle that you're riding upon. Don't let anything get under your craw. Get rid of it. Forgive. Overlook the personal little things. Overlook the things that irritate and focus on the office. They couldn't. Many can't. And a root of bitterness springing up can defile many. And it causes trouble. And we don't want to have that. Bitterness will destroy you. Your bitterness about me, I want to give you a little secret. It's not going to destroy me. In fact, it doesn't even hurt me. It only hurts you. And anyone else dumb enough to listen to you. Just get rid of your bitterness. It's poison in relationships. And it's poison before God. And look what it led them to do. They accused Moses of exalting himself too highly. And they messed with a man that was an apple of God's eye. Because the third verse tells us Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. What a testimony. That's the Holy Spirit telling us that. In parentheses. Do you know that Moses had to pen that down, put those parentheses there? Do you understand that? You say, where are you going? I just want you to think about your Bible. Right. Moses was sitting down one day, and the Lord inspired him. His word was in my heart. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And he starts writing Numbers chapter 12 to record this event. And he gets to the third verse. 
And the Lord says, here's what I want you to say about yourself. Sorry. I thought it was... Amen. Moses knew he didn't want the job, and God knew he didn't want the job either. And so the Lord put this in there, and it's, it's for our learning that Moses was a very meek man, and he, did not, he had not chosen this office. And it reminds us of the first few chapters of Exodus where we learn that by the historical account of him trying to resist the call of God to the office. The Lord, the Lord said, the three of you get out here. Oh, they trembled when Samuel went to Bethlehem? How would you tremble if the Lord said, come out here, the three of you? And Miriam and Aaron and Moses stood in front of the tabernacle, and God said, Moses, Miriam and Aaron, step a little closer. What would you, would you, wouldn't you fall to your knees and start begging for forgiveness right then? When a man's in an office that he didn't seek, and it's an office that God put him in, and it's an office that God's blessed him in, you should be most careful to criticize that man. Other men, maybe. And I don't really mean that. I'm, I'm making a point. But not that man. The Lord is going to identify some differences. For those of you that thought that I might have been a little presumptuous, I beg that there's none in here. In making some comparisons in the first assembly, I want to show you that when we read this, the Lord's going to make some comparisons. He says, Miriam and Aaron, hear my words. Listen to me. If there be a prophet among you, he doesn't even grant them the offices they held. If there be a prophet among you, I'm going to reveal myself to him through visions and dreams. All he's going to have are the vague notions that I give him during the night. My servant Moses isn't anything like that. I just yeah. Pretend you're a minister and reading a passage like this. I mean, you want to jump out of your chair and just shout that God comes to the defense of his ministers. And the difference between Aaron and Moses and the difference between Miriam and Moses was pretty significant. You know, what, what do you want to say? That it was eight times or 40 times? What do you want to, you know, it was just significant. And the Lord's going to point it out. If there's a prophet, because I don't really recognize you two as for sure, whether you're prophets or not, if there's a prophet, I'm going to reveal myself to that prophet by visions and dreams. But Moses isn't like that. Moses is faithful in all my house. What was that saying about them? They weren't faithful. Is that true about them, that they were not as faithful as Moses? What did they do when Moses was gone up Mount Sinai? built a golden calf. So the Lord is going to bring that to memory. You say, well, that's a long time ago. Well, they're making it happen by claiming equality with Moses. With him, verse 8, will I speak mouth to mouth. We stand and look at each other in the face and speak directly. He can hear the tone of my voice and see the look on my face. It's mouth to mouth. Even apparently, that means it's obvious, clear, and expressed speech not the similitudes, visions, dreams, symbolic language, and figurative speech that I deal with a prophet. And not in dark speeches. I don't talk to him in dark speeches and use vague terms and obscure language like I do with prophets. I speak apparently to him like mouth to mouth. And I want to remind you, the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. 
Moses isn't like you. Moses saw my backsides in Exodus 33 and 34. This man is so faithful to me, he saw me. He gets to behold me. He went up on Mount Sinai and beheld the glory of the Lord that was like a consuming fire on the top of that mountain. And he he goes through these points of reference comparing Moses to Miriam and Aaron. And then he says, Wherefore, based on those differences, those significant differences, wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? To make themselves equal to him was to speak against him, in God's opinion. Because they weren't his peers. They were his assistants. You know, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. Miriam got uh, leprosy. She was as white as snow. You need to go online, type in leprosy, and look at some of the pretty pictures that a Google search will bring up in just seconds. And all of a sudden, Miriam looked like that in her face because that's what was visible to Aaron. And Aaron confesses his sin in verses 11 and 12 and describes her as looking like the disintegrated remains of a miscarriage. Moses begs for the Lord to heal her right now. And then the Lord says, listen, this woman has done something that she needs to be used as an object lesson. If her father had been disappointed or angry with her enough to spit in her face, she would have been unclean seven days and ashamed for anyone to know that her father had spit in her face. I have spit in her face with leprosy And though I'm going to heal it, she needs to be outside the camp for seven days as a public demonstration that I'm ashamed of her and she ought to be ashamed of what she did and so that the whole camp knows it. And the camp did not move for seven days while they waited for Miriam outside the camp. Then she was brought in again. That is the Lord's seriousness. Was there a legitimate, valid confession made by Aaron? Yes. Did God forgive? Yes. But did he exact some punishment before he fully and finally forgave? Yes. Seven days. She was outside the camp. The Lord carefully identified the details and the degrees of the huge difference between Miriam and Aaron and with Moses, his man, which justifies our comparisons to teach wisdom. You know, the only, the reason I did what I did was to illustrate the point that I tried to make in the first assembly. And we go through some of that because the Lord did it and showed us that we ought to recognize the differences. They should have remembered they were not as faithful as Moses. They should have remembered Moses had seen the similitude of God. They should have remembered when Moses goes in the tabernacle, God comes down and talks to him face to face like a man to his friend. And God's never spoken to me that way. And we should recognize those things. If they would have recognized those things, they would not have said that they were equal to Moses. He expected them to have been afraid. Is it right to be afraid of the ministry? At least a little bit? He expected them to be afraid, though they were his siblings, though they were exalted persons themselves. To speak against Moses in such a way, since by all measures, he was clearly their superior, though they were his siblings, though they had exalted positions, they should have been afraid to speak against Moses. What if some water-carrying dolt in the church of God of the Old Testament had come to Moses 
and said these words in comparison to Miriam and Aaron. These were the two most exalted people in Israel outside of Moses. And yet God said, you should have been afraid, let alone those that were not prophets, were not priests, and did not know a thing about the worship of God, except where to go in the camp to have someone else do the entire thing for them. Do you see the point? Do you understand the difference? Leprosy is no slap on the wrist. It is a gruesome disease. Ask Aaron. Read his description. God considered appropriate for their sin, though they were nearly his peers. And though he healed her for Moses' prayer, she needed to suffer the public shame of it for seven days. This is Numbers 12. You should read it and humble yourselves before it and recognize that in this Bible story, God is giving us a lesson and warning us about His ministers. Just like there are passages in the Scripture that warn us about husbands, warn us about fathers, warn us about kings, and warn us about masters. So here we have one about the ministry. And what a great minister he was. Faithful in all his house. Paul quotes that in Hebrews chapter 3. And we want to tell the Lord that we believe that in the New Testament it's Paul who is like Moses, better than Moses, if you will. Let's go to number 16. Number 16, a much longer chapter. Now Korah, that's Cori from Jude 1.11. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. That's there for your learning. Was he a priest? Did he have a right to the... He wasn't a priest. Did he have a right to the priesthood? No. Because his father was Kohath, his grant, you know how I'm using the term, was Kohath, not Aaron. He was an animal killer, wood chopper, and water bearer. But he wanted Aaron's job. He wanted to be a priest. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, he did not come through the right genealogy to be a priest. And Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, that was their dad, and On, Peleth was his dad, the three of those men were sons of Reuben. So we've got one Levite and three Reubenites that are coming up against Moses, and they've got 250 buddies that they have raised out of the camp of Israel who are princes, men of renown. Does being a prince, a man of renown, or a successful businessman, or a Ph.D. college professor, or a pharmacist, or a CPA, or a P.E., give you more liberty with the man of God? That's why we have number 16. Princes and men of renown. Now when a pauper, when a pauper tries this, It doesn't even take 35 verses to get the job done. It's done in three. When students, instead of professors, open their traps and bark and yap, it's nothing to be compared to these men. These were princes and men of renown. Their reputations were nationwide in the nation and church of Israel among its millions of inhabitants. 
And you will find those millions coming to their defense. And it's going to cost the church for not being as angry about these 254 as they should have been. A Levite, three from the oldest son's tribe and princes and men of renown, are a far cry from the ignorant, the immature, and the illiterate that often rise up against pastors. They came together, it tells us. I have to, I have to summarize this. I would love to take from now until supper and then since the Lord's blessing is so abundantly, we could go someplace and have supper together and just go through this phrase by phrase, but I'm not going to do that to you. I know that there's part of you that's contacting wood and foam rubber, but it's mine is not, and I know there's a difference. And so we're going to speed through this. They gather themselves together. You know, when men conspire together and confederate in confederacies, and though hand join in hand of have you that read the Proverbs and think about them once in a while know where I'm going with that one? Though hand join in hand, the wicked is not going to avoid punishment. It doesn't matter how many they got together here, and it doesn't matter that the whole three million or five million or seven million of the nation of Israel came to their defense. It was serious business for them to open their mouths against Moses. And what did they say? They said in verse 3, Ye take too much upon you. You're exalting yourself too highly. You think too highly of yourself. The rule shouldn't be in one man or two man. We need multiple elders here. Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy. This holiness here is not legal holiness, nor practical holiness. It's ministerial holiness. It's consecrated enough to go before the Lord. To go before the Lord, you had to be Moses or Aaron was your daddy. Nobody else could. No one from Reuben. Get out of here, you little children of the oldest son. God passed over your father for good reason. Because he slept with his father's wife. You take too much upon you. You're trying to lord it over the congregation. Seeing all the congregation are holy. We're all able to go before the Lord. Every one of them. That's a populist cry when a politician comes out and has something, has goodies to offer the little people. Every one of them. You know, all men are created equal. Well, not when it comes to the ministry and not when it comes to fathers and wives and masters and servants and, and kings and citizens. No. They're not equal. And so this, every one of them, every one of us can go home and read our Bibles and pray over it. And we have a right to approach God as much as you do. And the Lord is among them. The Lord's with His people. He's not just with you. You don't have all the answers. We have them too. We're the Lord's people also. And the Lord's with us. And we're holy. You're not the only one that's holy. Wherefore then, who do you think you are? I'm trying to give you the understanding of these words. Who do you think you are then to lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? You say, it's hard for me to imagine anyone saying anything like that. Let me read you a quote. If it's hard for you to imagine such a thing, I told you that there's more emails than you know about. 
I read this past week a young girl writing her pastor about her rebellion, and I quote, But doesn't the Holy Spirit move and work in all of His children, regardless of age and office? Unquote. End quote. What hilarious and wicked ignorance, arrogance, presumption, and rebellion. James. 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 Do you love God? Where should I divide between Matthew 24 and Matthew 25? You don't know. Your son's a disappointment, Nathan. Does it match up with number 16 or am I stretching something? Regardless of age? Regardless of office? Show me in a Bible. You arrogant, wicked, presumptuous, foolish, little child. Moses fell on his face. How long did he have to wait to hear from God as to what he should do? Two nanoseconds. And the Lord revealed to him what he should say. And he said to Korah and to all his company, remember he's a prophet of the highest order. Even tomorrow the Lord's going to show who are his. That's not election. That's called the ministry. And who is holy. That's not sanctification. That's consecration to appear before God. Understand. And will cause him, whoever the Lord's going to show tomorrow, is going to cause him to come near unto him. Do you understand the whole thing is ministerial? Who gets to go into the presence of God? Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. All the repetition here is that Moses didn't choose the job. God chose Moses for the job to come near to him. Korah, get your 250 princes and men of renown and get them some censers and put some fire in from off the altar. We'll let you have the real fire, but put some fire in there and get you some incense and tomorrow the Lord's going to show you who can approach to him. Verse 7, the last part, this will help you. Under- ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. Aaron was a son of Levi, but Aaron was a special son of Levi because he came through, he was Aaron. The other sons of Levi that came up through Kohath and Aaron's brothers were Levites and not priests. Moses knew the difference. They knew the difference. And Moses is saying, you sons of Levi are trying to take too much upon you. You don't have the right of the priesthood like Aaron does. And Moses goes on and speaks and says, Ye sons of Levi, in verse 9, Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel? Why can't you be thankful that God pulled you out, gave Joseph two tribes, so that there were twelve left, and they give ten percent of all they produce to you as Levites, so that you're making a hundred and twenty percent of the national salary, to serve the congregation in religious matters, is that too small of a thing for you? He separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to Himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And He hath brought thee near to Him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also? Are you, are you not satisfied with that? You want to have this job? 
You don't want to be a Levite, you want to be a priest. And that it's, we started with that information in the first verse, that he was a son of Kohath and not of Aaron. And then Moses called Dathan and Abiram, and they wouldn't come up. And they said, you've taken us out of the land flowing with milk and honey. Do you, do you see how the understanding gets a little mixed up when you start to rebel, and you have bitterness, and you're full of arrogance and pride? Can you find me some place in the Bible where any Israelite thought that Egypt was the land flowing with milk and honey? What happens to a person's understanding? It is a sin listed in Romans chapter 1 and verse 31 called without understanding. It's a sin. When you in your idiocy pretend you know something and you actually let it out of your mouth. The safest thing is to shut that hole and keep it inside. And the best thing would be just to blot the thought out of your heart. It's without understanding. Look at how their rebellion and their pride corrupted their memory of what it was like to be slaves in Egypt. And you've brought us out here where we're going to die in this wilderness. They're going to die because they were rebellious. But we're going to die in this wilderness, and the only reason you really did it was to make yourself a prince over us. And you haven't brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey. Why? He couldn't. They refused. Now verse 15. Do any of you have a problem with verse 15? The first few words. Does it, does it unsettle you about Moses? Does it unsettle you about a minister? Have you read some other version of the Bible so that you read in Matthew 5, 22, Whosoever is angry with his brother is guilty of the judgment. Now see, our Bible says, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause is going to be judged. The other Bible versions change Matthew 5.22. Does it bother you what you're about to read in verse 15? And Moses was very wroth. You say, but he was the meekest. Listen, their meekness only goes so far. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. That only goes so far when a person is not raising rebellion in the church. Try to find that kind of a description in Titus chapter 1. Where Paul told Titus to shut the mouths of the gainsayers. Try to find that in 1st or 2nd Corinthians. Paul gave them their options if he came to visit them. Do you want me to come in meekness or do you want me to come with my rod? It was going to be ugly in Corinth if Paul came without repentance on their parts. Let me give you a little example. I know... I can see. I can't see well. Solomon is on the throne of Israel. He's exalted highly. His mother comes to him, his mother who loved him dearly. Proverbs says that he was tender and only beloved in the sight of his mother. His mother came before him and bowed and scraped and begged him. He put her in a seat right beside him. And she said, I have a petition to ask of thee. He said, anything you want to half the kingdom. She said, I want Abishag for your brother Adonijah. He said, he's going to die for that request. You may say, Solomon's a liar. 
Oh, not at all. In every statement, it is presumed that you are not going to come back with something that is ridiculous. What if she had said, I want you to offer one of your children to Molech? Was he supposed to keep that because he had said, I'll give you whatever you want to half the kingdom? Adonijah was a threat to the kingdom because he had already attempted sedition once. Abishag had been in the bed of David for the last weeks of his life and was privy to political matters of that nation. Solomon was incredibly wise and incredibly righteous and had him killed. I want you to understand Moses. He was a very meek man. And when it was a private matter between him and Miriam and Aaron, he could handle it meekly and beg God, remember his words, heal her now. Don't heal her someday, heal her now. But when there's a revolt like this that's going to turn the nation of Israel upside down, this is his response. You say, I can't see the difference. That's why you're not in authority. I'm trying to help you see the difference. Moses was very wroth, and he said, Don't respect their offering, this incense that they're dangling before you. Don't respect it. I haven't taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. I have treated some like my own children for four and a half years. In things natural and things spiritual. Many, many hours. Especially several years ago. And Moses told Korah, You get you and your company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. And you bring your censers, all 250 of them, and we'll find out who is the Lord's. Verse 18 is the next day. And they came with their incense and their censers and stood before the door of the congregation. And Korah, because they were princes and men of renown, got the whole congregation on their side. Verse 19, Korah gathered all the congregation against them. In the last half of verse 19, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. Do you get excited when you read the Bible? I bet you, I bet you don't get as excited as I do from, for some of these passages. All I can envision is five million people standing there, five million two hundred and fifty-four against two. This is going to be easy. All of a sudden, this great big column of fire comes down out of heaven and just levitates over the tabernacle, and the glory that's coming out of it is brighter than anything they've ever seen before. And it's the glory of the Lord. In my office, I do things like punch the air, shout, grab my sword and fling it around and go back to work. But I, don't don't you get it? Wow! Thank you, Lord! Moses didn't want it. You put him in it. Now you defend him. The odds are bad. They're five million. Moses wasn't afraid. Moses wasn't afraid. Right. I'm sorry that this is a little disjointed. I had hours worth. <laughs> but I had fun preparing it, and I hope I can give you enough that it'll be worth your while to be here. The Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Is that righteous? Is that holy? Does that bother you? Or do you enjoy a God that doesn't appreciate men rejecting His church and His ministers? The whole congregation...
Just get, just get back. I'll take care of them in a moment. You won't have to see them or hear from them again. Any of them. Yeah. Sorry. I punched the air again. It's not how I punch at home. but And they fell upon their faces and said, What great ministers. O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? Great holy reasoning with the Lord. So the Lord told them, Well, at least go tell those around the, the tabernacles of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram to get up and get away from where they live and to get away from their wives, and to get away from their sons, and to get away from their little ones, and don't be touching anything that they own. Verse 27, So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents. And here's where I wish that women would all be jails. And I hope you all are. Remember Mary? Jail from Judges 4 and 5? Yes. We had a nice exchange about those two chapters in Judges and about that woman. Dathan and Abiram came out. These are the sons of Reuben. Ons with them. And stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. Oh, what a pretty family. It's such a nice family. Look at that nice wife. She's been such a good wife. And look at those sons. I mean, there's a 13-year-old and there's one that's just graduating from high school and there's two, two in college. And look at those little babies that the sisters are holding. Look at those little children. All prettily dressed. They're princes and men of renown. They're so well known. Their pictures have been in the paper. And all the women, they're just heart, their hearts start to flutter. Oh, how could anything bad happen to these beautiful families that we've all come to admire? Men of renown. Do you hear me? Are you able to read the Bible and get the full sense of what the Bible's trying to communicate to you? Everything that the world would say and that our wicked hearts would say, well, surely it's just the fathers that should perish. Or surely it's just the fathers that should be rebuked. Moses said, here's how you're going to know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works. This is verse 28, for I have not done them of mine own mind. For, and we know that about him, don't we? Because we get the whole five books of Moses. We know that about him. But he says, I want you to know that the Lord sent me and I never wanted this job. And I did not do these things that I've done to lead you out of the land of Egypt of my own will. If these men die, and pointing to Dathan and Abiram and on, if these men die of natural causes, the Lord hath not sent me. But if these men die some new way, in fact, a new way like this, they get buried alive. They don't get to go to the hospital. They don't get to get sick. They don't get anything. They just get buried alive. Then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. Provoked the Lord? It should have been just an offense against Moses, don't you think? They provoked the Lord because the Lord put Moses in the job. And as soon as he ended his little speech, and it wasn't very long, the ground clave asunder that was under them. Can, can you imagine the ground opening up like a mouth and you and your wife and your sons and your little ones falling into it and your tent and your riches and your doggies and your puppies and your kittens and every stinking thing that you own, every piece of furniture, every, every picture, every family photo album, everything you had, everything that appertained unto them went down into the pit, the grave. And the earth came back together again. 
And they were screaming when they went down. They had enough time to know that they were terrified out of their wits. And the rest of the congregation fled in every direction, lest the earth swallow us up. You say, that was a pretty dramatic object lesson. That's a little too much. Well, you're barking against the Lord. I gave you these passages because God gave me these passages to give to you. And these passages reflect the character of the God that we worship and how He expects His ministers to be honored. And at that moment, fire came out from the Lord and the 250 men that were swinging. These men were princes and men of renown and thought that they could be like the priests. The sons of Aaron were consumed by fire, burnt alive. There were two deaths, two ways of dying that day. Buried alive and burned alive. You say that's cruel and unusual punishment? The Geneva Convention frowns upon it. God doesn't care about the Geneva Convention. Then God told Moses, you go out and pull out of the charred hands of the men that I just burned up, if there's any hands left. doesn't tell us. You pull those 250 censers out, pound them out with a hammer, make yourself some big pieces of gold, and place it on the altar. And it's going to be pretty ugly looking, but it's going to be pounded out, and you're going to see all these flattened censers, so that whenever any Levite gets near the altar, bringing fire or bringing wood or bringing water, he's going to look at all those censers, and he's not going to go one step farther than he should. Amen. You say, well, that's a little drastic. I love it. Amen. And I hope you love it. Amen. But on the morrow, the next day, the five million with that demonstration had not learned the lesson. And they came to Moses and Aaron and murmured against them and said in verse 41, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. Those were good men. Those were godly men. Those were holy men. You have killed good and godly men. And they started to crowd in around the tabernacle to take out Moses and Aaron. And the glory of the Lord appeared the second time. Is there anyone here wise enough to have run to the Philistines for safety? I mean, you should have gotten out of that place. When the glory of the Lord came down the second time, buried alive and burned alive, what's this one going to be? It's the way Herod went down. A plague. Moses knew immediately what God was doing. He wasn't going to ask them this time, separate yourself and I'll kill the whole congregation. He was going to kill the whole congregation. And, you know, some of these points, I'm I'm sorry. Whenever you think about Israel and you're reading Bible stories, just remember you want Moses to be their pastor, not me. And probably not you. Because one of these times I'd have just said, Aaron, stay, stay still for a few minutes. Stay still. There's some good things happening right now. But no, Moses said, Aaron... Get get your censor. You know, the 254 censors or whatever they had, there was only one that was going to work. Moses just stayed there in the tabernacle and said, Aaron, there's only one man that can approach to God as a priest, and it's you. Take your censor. And Aaron goes running into the camp, and he's looking around. Men are falling there, and these are still standing. He finds out where the where the plague is moving through the nation, and he runs into the middle, and he makes an atonement. There is one man in that camp that is able to work with God and to be a mediator between God and those people, and it was Aaron. But there were 14,700 already dead because the congregation of the Lord felt sorry for the 254 that had died at the hands of God for sinning wickedly in their sedition against Moses and Aaron. 
Some will argue from Revelation 1.6 that we are all kings and priests, forgetting the legal and practical differences. You are a king and you are a priest. Go to God and confess your sins. Go to your king and praise him. But don't pretend that you're a minister. Just like when it says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither male nor female in Jesus Christ. But no wife is going to take that home from this church and tell her husband this afternoon, you can't tell me what to do. There's no male nor female in Jesus Christ. That's in our legal redemption by Him and our eternal capacity in which we're going to enjoy heaven, but it has nothing to do with the practical relationships that we live in now. You say, where did you get that kind of dividing the word of truth? You have to over the years because people throw at you, but we're all kings and priests. And you go, do we have to go there? How do you argue with dumb is the expression that we used to have up north. If it's hard for you to imagine such, I had to hear and read this week, but doesn't the Holy Spirit move and work in all of His children, regardless of age and office? No, not in the ways that we're talking about today. He doesn't. Murmuring against God's minister is murmuring against Him Himself. Anger is right and good. Being wroth, being very wroth, is right and good. Begging God to reject the rebels is right. Detailing conduct toward rebels is right. Look at Moses defending himself. I never took an ass from them. I never hurt them ever. Is that arrogance? Is that pride? Is that self-righteousness? No. That's a man declaring how he has conducted himself toward others. What if the whole church wants to do something wrong? Ignore the majority. Go with God. Does buried, alive, and burned alive get your attention? It shows you what God thinks of such brute beasts. The whole church was judged by God for not being angry enough about the offense. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.